Welcome to the Global Missions Inc. podcast. Today's episode features Mike Greif. I had some bad habits, like we all. And one of my bad habits was I ate too many sweets when I was a kid. And matter of fact, we had a store about a block and a half away. And when we'd have a commercial, I would full speed, 100 miles an hour, I would sprint some piece of candy, and I'd sprint back to the house, try to get there before the commercials were over. (laughs) Well, I started going to the dentist quite often. Well, one of the books that was at the dentist office was this one. And, uh, And I loved this book. The first section was about Elijah, and the second section was about Elisha. And I loved reading the stories over and over. I hated to get drilled on, but I loved this book. So I'd grab this book and I'd start reading it. And I'd read as far as I could and I'd try to remember where I left off the last time. Stories like the floating axe head. Stories like fire coming down from heaven and and consuming a wet altar. All kinds of stories. Stories of a city being surrounded and the servant was all worried and Elisha was in there and he was calm and he said Lord open his eyes open his eyes and God opened his eyes and he looked around and we don't know how many thousands tens of thousands of angels were surrounding them but we serve a big God And I don't know why it's so hard for us to to just trust Him. My dad's favorite scripture was, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge the Lord, and He shall direct your paths. And he said that scripture a lot. And it seems to be hard for us to grasp that. I think we get way too distracted. There's way too many things in our lives that take away from the time that we need. We serve a good God. And I've said this in my home assembly. I didn't have to buy, and I don't have to buy lottery tickets. I've already hit the lottery. You have already hit the lottery. God is such an incredible God. When you look at man-made religions, they're way different than than the Bible. The Bible talks about a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of patience, a God of all the fruits of the Spirit. And then I'm going to challenge you to do something. Go online and look up the names of God. Look them up. I, don't, I can't remember how many there are. Maybe around 20. Quite a few. And each one of those names means something. And they show his character about some part of him that he 
is for us. Like Jehovah Jireh, the Lord that provides for us. El Shaddai, the mighty mountain that protects us. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals us. And if that's his name, do you think, do you think he wants to heal you? Or, or are you one of those guys that say, well, I don't know, it might, be, it might not be God's will. I read a story lately about two guys that walked into a church. And, it, and the pastor, who, or there was a Smith, no, it was John G. Lake. A man who ministered in that city about 40 miles that way. And in a, I'll just tell you this fact about him. In a six-year period, 200,000 people were Two hundred thousand documented. The mayor of the city even came and, and gave him a certificate and said, "You have made Spokane. This was in the early 1900s. You have made Spokane the healthiest city in the entire country because he had emptied out the hospitals." Jehovah Rapha. God wants to take care of us. He wants to meet our needs. He is a good God, and he is a big God. Anyone have a dime? Can I borrow a dime real quick? Anyone have a dime? I should have brought one up here. If you don't give me a dime, I'm gonna ha- you're just going to have to... In my classroom, we were always doing uh, mind experiments. That's what Einstein always did. All right, here's my dime. Terry says it's seven cents. All right, I'm just going to do a little demonstration to show you how big God is. Okay? In that direction is the Big Dipper. Okay? That's north. Scientists, about 20 years ago, if if you take this dime and you put it up to a certain spot in the Big Dipper, to a dark spot. And they had, so, so you got this dark spot that would fit at your arm length behind this dime. And they trained the Hubble Space Telescope on that spot. And at that time, the Hubble Space Telescope was the biggest, most powerful telescope in the in the history. And they'd taken it and put it in outer space where it wasn't obstructed by any atmosphere. And they took a time-lapsed, hundred-hour picture of that black spot. Then they blew that up into a picture. And all of a sudden, there were I don't know, hundreds of stars in there and a few galaxies. Then they took that spot, that picture, and they took about maybe 3% of it into the darkest spot that they could see in that picture. And they did the same exact thing. They trained the Hubble Space Telescope on it for 100 hours and took a picture, time-lapse picture. 
And what they came up with was maybe about half stars and half galaxies. And then they picked another dark spot. There was about 3% of that picture. Blackest spot in the picture. And they took a picture of that for 100 hours. And the result of that picture was 3,000 galaxies and, a, and about five or six stars. Now, the stars were inside the Milky Way galaxy, but everything else was outside of the Milky Way galaxy. 3,000 galaxies. And I used to teach this lesson at school, and the kids were like, whoa. Because they're realizing something. Remember, that's a teeny tiny little, teeny tiny little space behind this dime in just one direction. And scientists estimate that that picture... Now, I never had a problem with saying that the Earth was so many thousand years old and because I didn't worry about that. I'm going to be asking lots of questions when I get to heaven about science. But let's just pretend that the universe is as old as scientists say it is. And they say it's about 13, it's right around 14 billion years old. They said that that picture reached out about 13.7 billion light years out there into the past. So it was really close to the edge of the universe. And they just stuck another uh, telescope in the sky this, this, just this year called the James Webb, and it supposedly has gone pretty close to the, to the edge. And scientists are learning a lot from the science of the big. And I'll just tell you this little tidbit and bonus. Guess what the science of the big, the universe, guess what it points toward? A creator. A creator. And most scientists who are honest, who are astronomers, most of them believe in a creator. They don't know who he is, maybe, but they believe in him. And the science of the really super tiny, this is another bonus, the science of the microscopic points toward a creator. So don't, you, you young people, when you're being talked to about evolution or, or this creation coming out of, or it, uh, it evolving completely without a creator, and, and if it's a scientist supposedly who's telling you that, he's either a liar or he doesn't know or he hasn't studied those two sciences because they point toward a creator. Matter of fact, there's a temperature up there in outer space. It's called the, the, the residual leftover temperature from the creation event, which most scientists, when, when they were taught that or when they were confronted with the evidence, they hated it. 
because it toward a beginning. And they wanted the universe to be eternal, always here. But there was a beginning. And if we read, if we read Genesis 1, it talks about it in the beginning, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And that's, by the way, probably the order that he did it. He probably created the, the heavens first. The heavens and the earth. But that doesn't matter. But we serve a big God. It's a big universe. We're in one galaxy of... Scientists believe that there's like... They, they, they believe there's like two trillion galaxies out there. Now, what I used to tell my students was, behind that dime is 3,000 galaxies clear out there to the edge of the universe. What, what's going to happen if you... Take that dime in every direction. In every direction of the sky. Even down because there's outer space through the earth on the other side, right? There's probably that many galaxies in every direction. They, re they estimate two trillion galaxies. Do we serve a big God? And I, I, I was going to bring a plate. But let's pretend this is... The, this is Scientists say that the, that the universe is round. I'm not going to go into that, but... So let's say there's the universe right there. God is not contained by the universe. He's outside of it. That's why you can see any point on here, right? Let's pretend that this is the beginning and that's somewhere where it is now. God's outside of it. You can see the whole picture. That's why he knew if you are going to choose him or not. Because he can see the end from the beginning. We serve a good God. We hit the lottery. And we serve a big God. So if the God of miracles is who the Word of God says he is, can we trust him? Daryl, can we let go can we let go and just trust him? Daryl was telling me that's what God's been teaching him. God wants to, he wants us to just let go. And like, like uh, Trevor Sunbow taught, the battle is whose? The battle is the Lord's. And, and we don't want to let go. We want to hang on to it. But the truth of the matter is, we have to let go. Okay. That was my introduction. <laughs> Two things I want to talk about today. And one, and both of them have been talked about a lot already. One, we need the Holy Spirit. If you read the book of Jeremiah... You'll notice that every, in almost in every chapter, it talks about God wants the people to hear his voice and to do it. We need to learn to hear the Holy Spirit. Because until the Holy Spirit really comes and takes control, we're not going to have any power. And we're not going to have any faith. Because faith is a gift. He gives it 
as we are walking with Him, as we know Him, as we have a relationship with Him, He gives us more faith. He gives us more power. Get less and He gets more. So that's one thing I want to talk about. And the other one is unity. God can't work. I'm learning. My family has been going through a trial where we've been asking for something for three and a half years. And we've been persistent and asking and knocking and seeking. And we don't have the answer yet. But it's on the way. One day I was just praying to God and I said, God, what's lacking? And it was like, it wasn't a verbal voice, but it was like the Holy Spirit said, go read Psalm 133, the psalm that Terry read today. Psalm 133. God wants to meet the needs around us, through us, as the Holy Spirit works through us, the body of Christ. And two, he, deserve, he, he desires to move t- together as us, to move together as one in unity. He desires the body of Christ to be marching together as one, each one doing his or her part, his or her ministry in the body of Christ. Jesus wants to work through his body on the earth. As God the Father worked through him when he was on the earth, This is where God has taken the church. Nat talked about John chapter 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus was telling his disciples, I got to go. And they said, where are you going? And he said, you know where I'm going. And they didn't know where he's going. Then he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But he said, unless I die, he didn't say this literally, but this kind of what he was saying. Unless I die and am resurrected, the Holy Spirit won't come down here and live within you. But he said, if I do those things, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And also in that chapter, he said, truly, truly, I say unto you, he who believes in me, the works that I shall do, he shall do also. And Here's an amazing one. And greater works than these shall you do because I go to the Father. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine us doing greater works? Well, if, if the body of Christ, you and the rest of the body of Christ, enter into their ministries and start discerning the body of Christ and seeing the Christ in one another and being about his business and hearing his voice and when he says jump we don't say why we say how high that's what we have to learn whatever it is he wants us to do We do it. Then if the body of Christ rises up into unity and you see the Christ in one another and stop, I'm 
You've seen this one before, right? You, how many fingers do I have? Point to me. Three. Until we stop doing that, I think he's going to short the power. It's like if, if someone turned those lights off, these lights off, why do the lights go off? If they flip the switch, why do they go off? They go off because the circuit's broken. And then they turn the switch on, the circuit comes together. And then the electricity flows. Our actions, our judgments, our pointing the finger, our worrying about the splinter in their eye when I got a log, when we have a log in our own eye, all of those things break the circuit. Now, does that mean you just lost your salvation? No. God's a loving God. It just means you won't have the same power. And he won't give you the same faith. Because faith and, and faith is the word pistis in the, in the Greek, and, and power is the word dunamis. It's the word that they get dynamite from. You, we won't have the power of God or the faith of God if we keep persisting to not discern the body of Christ and to see Christ in one another. We will remain, as it says, and has has been read, we will remain sickly and some will die. Sleep. Until we start cleaning out our ears and listening to the Holy Spirit and purposing in our hearts to choose you this day whom you will serve, whom you will listen to. When I listened to the, the meetings at, of Battleford, I was thrilled. I was literally thrilled because I heard, I heard prophecies. I heard messages Things that the Holy Spirit's been telling me like God wants to heal. Andy gave a message on Wednesday night before the, the healing message, the ministry. And he tried to build a case so that people would understand that God is still in the healing business. That he hasn't changed. That huge God that created, by the way, everything out of nothing... He's the only one that claims to be able to make something out of nothing. It's Romans 4.17, if you want to look it up. He can make, he made everything out of nothing. That God who spoke a word and creation came into being, and that God who spoke a word and life came into being, is well able to fix a problem that we have. He's well able. We just have to, like my sister Martha, she's very simple, but she's very big in her faith. And she, for her whole life, she's been teaching.
Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. And I've tried to listen to it. Because it's true. Wayne Peters uh, gave a little talk the Thursday after the healing meeting. And uh, he was talking about a lot of these things. Why we aren't getting why we aren't seeing healings. And it is a lot of the things that have come out in this camp. Some of the things that I've said tonight. God desires for a people who will fully surrender to Him and who will allow Jesus to live through them as God lived through Jesus. That's what He wants to do. He wants, it says in, in Romans 8.29 that God is in the business of creating a family of, of believers that are created in the image of Jesus. Now does that mean, it, it just means that Jesus was the most humble person that ever lived, right? He wants to create a people who are in His image so that we can do His work. And the same, you want to know what the will of God is? Read the New Testament. Read the Old Testament. Read the Gospels. What did Jesus do? The things that Jesus did, that's the will of God. Who, who was it that told Jesus to do that? God. Who wants to work through us in a similar fashion? The Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to live through us in the same way that God lived through him. And Jesus didn't do anything of his own works. He only did what his father told him. And that's what God wants to do with us. uh, Amundsen talked about us resting from our works in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. Us entering into the Sabbath rest. And that Sabbath rest, I believe, is just us getting out of the way and the Holy Spirit coming and taking over. Us surrendering and yielding and the Holy Spirit just taking over. And He says to do something and we do it. Big or small, doesn't matter. Richard Holt's message on Isaiah 58 at Battleford. I'll just read this little paragraph that I wrote about it. We are God's co-workers. That's a synopsis of what he wrote. We are God's co-workers. This chapter is talking about Jesus and his ministry. It's also talking about his ministry right now through you. My niece, we prayed for my niece who doesn't go to our church. She came to our church and we prayed for her, anointed her with oil. Asked her if she wanted to. And she wrote a letter to us, and I appreciated something that she said. She said, thank you for being Jesus with skin. You are Jesus with skin. That's you. He wants you to be Jesus. His, him, down here on the earth now. Jesus with skin on. God's logos, His Word. 
He wants us to be... He's always up to date. And he's, he's moving. Okay. Um, I'm going to try to move this along. I'm just going to mention some scriptures that point toward the fact that God wants to heal through us. Exodus 15.26. Exodus 15.26 says, If you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes and pay attention to his commands and keep his statutes, then I will not bring any of these diseases I afflicted on the Egyptians or the people of the world. For I am the Lord, Jehovah Rapha, who heals you? That's his name. He wants to heal. If he said it in the Old Testament, it means it's for the New Testament because Jesus just fulfilled the Old Testament. Three scriptures that say that, and this has been mentioned already, that Jesus healed all who came to him. Matthew 4.23, Jesus healed every kind of disease and sickness. That was Matthew 4.23. Luke 9.11. Jesus healed all who were sick in the crowds that followed him. That was Luke 9 and 11. Acts 10.38 and 39. It says that the apostles witnessed Jesus' ministry of healing all the tyranny of the devil and miracles. Jesus sent out the 70 in Luke 10. And, by the way, the 70 weren't, they weren't apostles. They were just 70 believers. He sent them out, and they came back and they said, demons, uh, demons responded to us, and, and we healed the sick. And Jesus said, I just saw Satan fall from the heavens. The book of Acts, Terry mentioned it today. Peter and Paul healed pretty much all who came to them. Almost all of them. I mean, I can't remember any that they didn't. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, one person that I read lately, he said, the book of Acts is known as the book of the, the Acts of the Apostles. It should be known as the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because that's what it is. Psalms 103, verses 2 and 3, says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. If he tells you to not forget him, what's that mean? Don't forget him. And here they are. Who forgives all your iniquities? We can accept that who heals all your diseases. Can we accept that part? John G., I, I meant to say this example earlier, and I'm going to say it now. He said, if two people walked into the church, one wanted to be saved, and the other wanted to be healed, he was, a lame, he was lame, almost everyone in the assembly would, would be praying for the one to be saved, and at least half of the assembly would be saying, well, if it's God's will for you to be healed, I don't know. We'll see. It is God's will for him, for us to be healed. His word declares it. If his word declares it, it's true. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's not going to lie. If he tells it to us in the word, it's true. 
Isaiah 35, 4 and 6. Isaiah 35, 4 and 6. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall hear. Then the lame man shall leap as a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Salvation, healing. Same message. Jesus died on the cross for our salvation, but he also died for our healing and he died to restore man to the way it was before the fall. He is going to restore and he's going to manifest his sons. That's what his word declares. Matthew 8:17 and Isaiah 53:5. Matthew 8:17 and Isaiah 53:5. He himself took away our illnesses and will heal and heals all our diseases. And I could keep quoting scriptures. I'm I'm going to move on. So you're getting the picture. God wants to heal. He wants to move. Second topic: unity will bring blessings. And Let's just read Psalms 133 again. Psalm, Terry just read it last night. It's it's very short. I'll read it real quickly and just make some comments on it. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edges of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Unity bringing the Holy Spirit. One, it's like the, it's like the anointing oil. It's like that oil coming down from the head, it said, and then going to the rest of the body. Coming from Jesus down onto our body, to the body of Christ. And then he said, it's like the dew of Hermon. Mount Hermon. It's in the Golan Heights, and it's it's the tallest mountain in, in that area. It's between Israel and Syria. And... Funny thing about it's really high. I, I think maybe nine or ten thousand feet, and all that moisture next to the ocean goes up the sides of the mountains, of the mountain. And when water vapor goes up and cools down, it turns to water. It turns to dew. And it said, it's like that water vapor coming down upon the the hills of Zion. Zion refers to the people of God. So two examples, unity will bring life and it will also bring the Holy Spirit. Two examples of that Holy Spirit coming and that's what will bring the life. So I'm just going to end this with some points. What are some things that are causing disunity and causing faith and power of God not to flow. And this isn't a a complete list, but it's some things that God's been teaching me. Number one, don't be critical and judge 
others in the body of Christ. We need to start looking and thinking about the three fingers that are pointing at ourselves rather than the one pointing towards someone else. I want you to read or turn to Matthew 7, 1. And I love the first word. It says, refuse. What's that mean? That, that's more than don't do it. That's like, refuse. Don't even entertain it. Refuse to be a critic full of bias toward others and you will not be judged. Refuse. Practical piece of advice. If you're in a conversation at home or your job on, online or wherever and you want to say something and be critical to someone else, refuse. Don't react. And if you really want to, react, then give it 20 seconds and see if you want to react after that. But remember, it says refuse. So try not to. Point number two, your opinions don't always represent God. My opinions don't always represent God. Because we're not always walking in the Spirit. Every, so this is Luke 14.11 in the TPT. Remember this, everyone with a lofty opinion of who he is and who seeks to raise himself up will be publicly humbled. And everyone with a modest opinion of who he is and chooses to humble himself will be raised up before all. Proverbs 16.2 We are all in love with our own opinions. Convinced they're correct. But the Lord is in the midst of us testing and probing our every motive. Philippians 2, 3. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Our pride-filled opinions will only harm our cherished unity. Now, you guys, when you get your back to the wall, and you, have a, and you have a reason to change. That's when you will change. And God has taken all of us probably through tests and trials. And if he's not taking you through one, and you're thinking you're doing pretty good, God has a way of getting your attention too. Point number three. We need the Holy Spirit taking over our lives. We need a new heart and mind. Ezekiel 36, 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. Point number, or uh, this is to finish this one. I'm going to go back to Matthew. Do you ever wonder in Matthew 7... 7 and 11, I'll just tell you about that. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. It, it talks about ask, seek, and knock. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. You ever wonder why that ends with, and how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Have you ever thought, well, wait a minute, didn't you just change the subject, Jesus? 
We were talking about asking. We weren't talking about getting the Holy Spirit. But I I was thinking about that one day, and I realized, what do we need the most so that when we ask, we'll receive? We need the Holy Spirit. So the next time you read that or think about that, how much more will your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Something that God's taught me, He kind of taught me this when I was a teacher. Play the opposite game with the enemy. Play the opposite game. If the enemy wants you to accuse somebody, thank God for him. And and ask that God will give him wisdom. And you wisdom. Choose to do the opposite of what the enemy wants you to do. If, If you're fearful, sing praises. Ultimately, the problem you perceive that they have, that's God's problem to solve. So just pray for them. Point seven, I'm just going to tell you about encourage and support one another. I've been amazed that when I read the New Testament especially, how many times, how many of the books talk about building one another up, encouraging one another. Helping one another. That's our job. It's not to tear one another down. It's to build one another up. And the last point I want to make. Chapter 2 of Joel. Chapter 2 of Joel. The book of Joel is a prophetic book that gives a picture of the church in the last days having power with God. We've, been all, we've all been taught about the sonship message that God wants to raise up a company of believers who are matured in their, in their walk with Him and they're raised up in power through a body ministry as talked about in Ephesians chapter 4. Joel chapter 2 talks about the day of the Lord coming. Verses 7 and 8. I'm just going to read those two. You can read it yourself. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like soldiers. Think of this as the body of Christ. They each march in line. That means they're marching together. They're not stepping on one another's toes. They're not pushing and shoving. They're marching in line. Nor do they deviate from the path, from their paths, and they don't get entangled. They do not. So I looked up the the Greek of uh, of let's see which word was it? Well, it, it was some of the words that were in there. It said they don't crowd each other. They don't oppress one another. They don't jostle, afflict, maltreat, vex one another. They march everyone in his path in their own gifts and ministries, together as the body of Christ. And when they burst through the defenses, they don't break ranks. They stay together. I'd say that's probably the most important thing that I've learned in the last while, is that we need to start pulling together. We need to choose to stop being critical of one another. We just have to stop it.
because it's stopping our growth. It's making us like the church at Laodicea that's kind of lukewarm. We need to be hot, on fire, like Terry was this morning when he was preaching. That's how we need to be. We need to want to be about God's business. And a lot of it is our choices. If you would like more information about the moving of God's Spirit or resources for your spiritual life, please visit our website at www.globalmissionsinc.org.